with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, we believe that you want to speak to us, and Lord, we want to speak your name. We ask that you would reveal yourself in your word this morning, reveal yourself in each of us. We ask that you would transform us. Let today be that breakthrough day. We pray your blessing upon this time. May you open up our ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I really believe as we start that today can be a breakthrough day for you. There's a piece of this scripture that we're going to be talking about this morning that, that just really grabbed a hold of my heart. There's a a section we're going to talk about it you'll hear it as we come to it but it it's this uh this part in the story of jacob where he says i'm gonna hang on to you until you bless me <laughs> so i hope you're ready to do that this morning to hang on to god until he blesses you i invite you to turn your bibles to genesis chapter 31 and 32 that's where we're going to be focused this morning we have been in a series called Healing Choices, which are based on the eight Beatitudes. And today we're going to be looking at the fourth. That is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. And that Beatitude is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? That's, a, that's an important question. Or we just want to, come on, let's get this over with so we can go to lunch. I know, I, I feel like that sometimes too, you know, and I'm standing up here. <laughs> but are we hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness? God says we will be blessed if we are the ones doing that. You know, there's two kinds of hunger people have, right? There's, there's physical hunger, you know, no doubt. Some of you got grumbling tummies because you skipped breakfast this morning. And, and there is spiritual hunger. And today what we're focusing on is that spiritual hunger, the kind that we need in our hearts if God is going to change us. And we're going to do this a uh, little bit upside down today. Uh, the scripture that we're focusing on, we're not actually going to look at until we get to the end of the message. And, uh, and so hang on for that. It's coming. We didn't forget. Before that, we want to take you through the story of Jacob, at least part of his story. It's a very large story, and uh, we're going to be skipping a little bit, so I encourage you to just sort of take time in that part of Genesis and read the whole story, read all the prayers, read them. You could read that prayer out loud. It could be your prayer. Jacob's story really nicely illustrates all of the steps that we've been talking about for the last four weeks, this, this being week number five, and they are really healing choices in life. They're, they're not something we made up. They're healing principles that you can find all over Scripture and not just in the Beatitudes, and they help us to get on that road for healing and for growth to fullness, to recovery to the path of becoming everything that God wants us to be, everything that he created us to be. And we're going to look at them in the life of Jacob. So again, if you haven't turned yet to Genesis 31 and 32, that's where we're going to be today. The story takes us on a bit of a review of what we've done so far. If God is going to change you, if he's going to make the changes in your life that you want to see, and if he's going to make the changes in your life that he wants you to, to do or to, to change, 
This is the first phase, and here's where we get started. The first phase this morning is conflict. I know that that's what you really wanted to hear this morning, that, that your journey needs to start with conflict. Really? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not really where you wanted to start. Did you know that God uses your struggles, and especially those struggles that you have with other people, to, to sometimes help get your attention focused on him? Now, if you're going through some kind of a relational struggle this morning, if you're going through some kind of relational conflict, um, right now you might want to think about that because maybe God is trying to get your attention through what you're going through. When God wants you to change, he often starts with conflict. Now, I, some of my best study times in Scripture have been those times where I've been really challenged by a situation, and, and it's just forced me to go to my knees and to dig into Scripture and to really study. And I learn all kinds of stuff in those times. You know, it's easy to coast, but that's not what we're talking about here. When God wants you to change, he often starts with conflict. In the story of Jacob, his entire life can be summed up with one word. You know what that word is? Conflict. I mean, that guy, he had a way of really causing problems in his life. Uh, in the story of Jacob, he came out of the womb fighting. He was fighting with his twin brother Esau. In fact, it says he was holding on. He was second born. They were twin brothers. Esau was born first. And it says when Esau came out of the womb, there was Jacob holding on to his ankle, not to his heel, and he wasn't letting go right from the beginning, and they gave him the name supplanter. Now, supplanter is a funny word. It means somebody who steals or usurps the place of another person. Uh, he's sometimes called deceiver or cheater, and he's a guy who's always taking shortcuts to try to get to first place, even though he's not firstborn. So from birth, Jacob and Esau fought. And in fact, Jacob cheated his brother out of his inheritance, out of his blessing. So Jacob and his brother, they were estranged. They didn't get along at all right from the beginning. And as you study the life of Jacob, you'll find that Jacob is always running away from conflict. He runs away from this conflict with his brother, and he runs away from a number of other conflicts that happen in his life. He has conflict with his wife. He has conflict with his father-in-law. He has conflict with his brothers-in-law. And ultimately, we know he has conflict with God. He's having conflict all over the place. Do you think maybe God might be trying to get Jacob's attention? But he doesn't always pay attention to God. You know, there's a lot, there are times where he does, but a lot of his life, he's going through his life as if God isn't there as if he's the only one. And he tries to manipulate things. Where we pick up the story here in Genesis 31 and 32, Jacob is kind of between a rock and a hard place. What's happened is he's got two big conflicts going on. First, he's got a conflict going on with his father-in-law, Laban. Laban actually cheated Jacob. She cheated him as he was trying to get married, and, and uh, Laban manipulated that situation, and Jacob ended up serving his father-in-law for 14 years to be allowed to marry his wife. That's a long time. And then there was all this problem with his wages, and he ended up working a lot more time 
just so he could get what he was owed for all the work that he has done in, in raising up Laban's livestock and making Laban, Laban a very wealthy man. He ends up marrying two daughters of Laban. He marries Leah and Rachel. And, and there's bad blood between him and Laban going on for a while. And Jacob is also fighting with his brothers-in-law. And that's because during his time of service, Jacob began to prosper. When he started to get livestock as part of his, his reward for the work that he had done, uh, that, that just grew and grew and grew. And the brothers-in-law look at all this wealth and they think, Jacob's stealing from dad. Jacob is stealing from the father because they see that as their inheritance. And it's, it's going down the road with Jacob, right? So, so they're not real happy. And, and they think that Jacob is cheating. And they're right. Jacob is cheating. You need to read the story for that part. The Bible says in Genesis 31 and verses 1 and 2, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all the wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not as it had been. Now, I think that's one of those great biblical understatements. He's figuring this out. Jacob is looking at this situation, and I think he feels the tension in it, and I think he realizes this just really isn't working out very well. Things are so dense. And then God speaks to him, and God says, I want you to go home to the land of your fathers. Go back to the place where you were born. And so he takes all his family. He's got 11 sons by now. He's got two wives who are both Laban's daughters. And he's become very rich. And he's got all these flocks and sheep and goats. And he takes everybody. And they sneak off. Now, now I don't know how you do that with that many people and things. How, how do you sneak off in the middle of the night and nobody notices? But it says in this passage that it's three days before anybody runs to Laban and tells him, everybody's gone. I'm not sure how that works, but that's what happens. So Jacob is gone and Laban, his father-in-law, hears about it and he's ticked. For a number of reasons. One, he didn't get to say goodbye to his daughters. He didn't get to say goodbye to the grandchildren. And uh, they're taking the grandchildren and moving them far away. You know, any of you ever had that experience? It's kind of hard, you know. And, and Laban's really upset. So he chases after Jacob to try to get him back. Now that's what's behind Jacob. But what's in front of him? On, on another front, we have another problem because... Because he's going home, and that's what God told him to do, but he knows what's waiting for him at home. His brother has never forgiven him for stealing his birthright, and so he starts scheming. That's, that's Jacob. He puts together a plan, and he starts sending gifts to Esau, and with the gifts comes a message, Esau, your brother is coming home. And he thinks, maybe if I just send enough gifts, he'll forget that I stole his inheritance. <laughs> Not likely. The messengers come back, and they've got bad news, because Esau took the gifts. He was happy to get the gifts. But now Esau is coming with 400 men. It says Jacob was terrified. He had every reason to be terrified. 
What's he got at his back? He's got his, his father-in-law who's angry at him and who's coming after him. What's he got in front? He's got 400 men coming for him. And he's in the middle and he's got nowhere to run. Right now, Jacob is reaping a lifetime of choices. He created a lot of these situations. But it's out of his hands. And that's stage one. That's, that's conflict we were talking about. Now, now, notice the next verse in your outline. Here's, here's what Jacob prayed. He prays this. Oh God, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown me. Save me, I pray, for I am afraid. Now that prayer is actually a lot longer than that. And I, I want you to think about going there and reading that prayer, maybe even out loud. Because a lot of it could be your prayer. But he's scared. And he's scared of the conflict that's coming. And so what is he doing? He's making the same choice that we did when we started this study. We called that the reality choice. And, and think about how this kind of runs a parallel in some, parallel in some places. Realize that I'm not God. Now here's Jacob's part. I admit that I'm powerless to control the tendency to do the wrong thing. And my life is now unmanageable. Does that sound like Jacob right now? Right in that situation? This is where Jacob is at in this first phase of his spiritual journey. And he is on a spiritual journey. Until we get to this stage in life, nothing's going to change. It's not going to change until we realize that this conflict that we're in, whether it's right now or one that you've just had or one that might be coming into your life, this conflict we're powerless to change it sometimes and it isn't going to get any better on its own in fact it might even get worse first beatitude in matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 says god blesses those who realize their need for him that's what jacob's done he's realized oh i'm in real trouble here i better talk to god isn't that what we do sometimes? We wait till we're backed into the corner before we start talking to God? Well, that's the starting point. And it most often happens in a conflict of time, and often it happens with other people involved. So Jacob, right now, he's moved into crisis mode, and he splits his family and possessions into two parts, and he sends them out, and he, he gets them across the river, and he does that because he thinks, you know, if, if my brother attacks and takes one group, I'll still have the other part of my family alive, and, and I won't have lost everything. And he's scheming again. He's trying to find a way to get out of this, even though there isn't really something going on that can allow him to do that. And he sends them across the river, and he stays alone. It doesn't say exactly why he stays alone, but he's brooding. He's probably worrying about his problems. He's probably thinking about all those terrible things. This, this is Jacob's dark night of the soul. And he comes into this crisis, and he begins to struggle with God. And we know from the story that, that he's going to get in another fight. <laughs> and this is a lot bigger than WWF. This is, this is the wrestling match of all time. He's wrestling with God, right? Like we know, it's, it says this man came. But in scripture, or in theology, we sometimes call that a theophany. This is a physical manifestation of God on earth 
usually in the Old Testament. And so here's what's going to happen. He begins to struggle with God. Now, Jacob isn't just in conflict with other people. Now he's in conflict with God. Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever had one of those dark nights of the soul? I know I have. They can be pretty awful sometimes. Well, here's what it says in the story. Jacob got them, meaning his family, safely across the brook Jabbok, along with all of his possessions. But Jacob is staying behind, and he's left alone at the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn. That's a long wrestling match. <laughs> That's a long time. He's, he's wrestling a long, long time, all night. Have you ever wrestled with God all night? You ever have one of those nights where you can't sleep? You know, where your mind's just going a mile a minute and you're talking with God. Sometimes you're arguing with God and sometimes you're mad at God and sometimes you're maybe even pleading with God. So what happens to Jacob here? Well, it says, when the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and, and it doesn't even say struck in the text, really. It says touched and knocked it out of joint at the socket. So what's going on here? What's really going on here? His biggest conflict is actually not with his father or his brother. And his biggest conflict is not with his father-in-law or with his wife or with anybody else. His biggest conflict is really with God. And isn't that most of our struggle, too? Our biggest conflict is with God. Jacob has been running all his life. And God says, okay, buddy, <laughs> you're caught between a rock and a hard place. Now we're going to have it out. So God shows up in human form. And he has this wrestling match with Jacob. And, and you know, God doesn't mind having a wrestling match with you. Even if it goes all night long, God would much rather have you close and wrestling with him than far away and indifferent. Isn't that right? You know, we go to God and we get wrestling. God, I don't like this in my life. I'm angry about this in my life. There's this stuff in my life I don't want in my life. And why are you letting this happen to me in my life? You know, all those things that we get into. But God would much have you closer and wrestling than far away and indifferent and apathetic. He'd rather have you going like, I don't like the situation I'm going through. I'm ticked off. I'm mad. Let's have it out. And, and let's wrestle. And he's you know, we talk to God like that sometimes. And God says, bring it on. <laughs> bring it on. God doesn't have small shoulders. He can carry the weight. Bible tells us in the book of Hosea, chapter 12, before Jacob was born, he struggled with his brother. And when he became a man, he even fought with God. <laughs> Imagine that. We fight with God sometimes, too. So you know the problems that you're maybe having in your life right now, the crisis or the conflict or the difficulty that you're going through. Maybe that ain't the real problem. The problem you're having with your kids, with your husband, with your wife, 
with your friends, with your finances, with your health, that's a symptom. Maybe your struggle is with God. It's about who's going to be God in your life. And does God really have the right to tell you what to do? And does God have a right to call the shots in your life? Your real struggle is you're wrestling with God. And what is your struggle with God? Well, your biggest struggle is when things don't act the way you want them to, they don't go as fast as you want them to, and you take matters into your own hands. You don't wait, and you don't trust God, and you don't pray, and you don't think that God will provide for your needs, and you get in a hurry, and you try to manipulate the situation and make the stuff happen. We get in the wrong relationships. We get in the wrong job. We get in the wrong situation because we won't wait for God. We won't trust God. And that's what Jacob has done all his life. You know, God said he wanted to bless Jacob, and Jacob didn't believe it. He cheats. Regardless of what problem is in our life, it boils down to two things, really. Will I trust God to care or to take care of the situation or care for me? And will I obey God and do the right thing even when it doesn't make sense? What happens in wrestling when the wrestler's pinned? He's in pain and he knows the match is over. What does he do? Taps out, right? He taps out. He lets the ref know, I'm done. I'm finished. I surrender. It's over. I give up. And you know, God is waiting for you to say that. He wrestled with you as long as it takes. I mean, he'll be there as long as you want to make the match go. But Jacob won't tap out. Jacob refuses, and so God taps him right on the hip. Fact is that we rarely change unless pain exceeds the fear of change. Does that make sense? We rarely change unless our pain exceeds the fear of change. And that's when you're finally going to give up. But when you do, you realize there wasn't really any need for the fear. Why were we so afraid of this letting go? Why were we so afraid of God? This is the hope step. The light bulb goes on. You have an epiphany. You earnestly believe that God exists and that you matter to him and that he has the power to help you recover. Okay, here's phase three in spiritual growth. Phase one was conflict with others. Phase two, struggle with God. Crisis with God. And phase three is commitment. Commitment. I commit to God's changes. In phase three, I, I finally cry uncle. I finally say, I give in. I'm going to go your way because I want you to change my life. I want you to bless my life. Notice what happens as the wrestling ends for Jacob here. Then the man said, let me go for it's dawn. But Jacob panted, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. 
Can you hear passion in that? Finally? God loves passionate praying. You know that? He'll love it if you shout out a prayer. He doesn't answer the ones that go, Dear God, would you kind of, sort of, please, maybe help me out? But God answers his passionate prayer. God, I am not letting go until you help me. I have got to get help. I am not letting go until you bless me. That's commitment. That's all in. Jacob is in step three, the commitment choice. Consciously choose to commit all my life and all my will to Christ's care and control. Nothing is going to happen in your life until you get to three. Have you ever thought about this? Obviously, God could give you the answer to your prayer immediately. It's within his power. He could do that. So why does he always seem to make us wait? Why does it seem to me that that we're always wrestling through the night? Why does it have to go on that long? You know, God could have shut that wrestling match down any time he liked. He could have done a full Nelson, and then a pile driver, and then the sleeper, and that guy would be out and unconscious, and he couldn't even tap out. God had that power. But God limits himself, and he wrestles with Jacob until dawn. See, God wants to know if you're really serious about it. There's a difference between a desire and a whim. God says, I don't answer whims. I don't answer whims. God wants to see if you're really in business. God is not a vending machine. You stick in a prayer and something comes out. That's not the way God works. He's not your genie. You serve God. He didn't serve you. Something we need to mention, and that is that, you know, if you have a problem in your life and it has come into your life over a long period of time, it's likely not going to be fixed immediately. It's going to take a period of time before that is dealt with. And God is all about walking with you through those kinds of situations in life. And there are a lot of Bible stories we could pull up and and see him doing that. You having marriage problems? Then say to God, I commit to you changing me, God. Changing me. And about my marriage, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not going to stop this prayer until you bless me. And that takes us into the next phase, and that is, <laughs> we went through conflict with others and crisis with God and commitment to change, and now we're into the confession time. Admit that I am the problem. Not my husband or my wife, not my friends or my mom or my dad, not my kids. I am my own biggest problem. This is the breakthrough step. If you can get through this, if you can accept this, if you can take this into your heart and your mind, and if you can give yourself to God in this way, this can be your breakthrough. This can change your life. 
we confess. Lord, I openly admit and confess all these faults that I have. I confess them to you. Lord, show me my faults. David says, if there is any wicked way in me, show me. Not so I can glory in it, not so I can wallow in it, but so that it can be changed and given over to God. Notice Jacob, he's wrestling with God, and it says, then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Why in the world is God asking his name? It's not like God doesn't know his name already. But there are often situations where God asks us something or asks his people something he already knows the answer to, and he doesn't do it for his own benefit. He does it for the benefit of the person he's asking, right? So think of Moses. What's that in your hand? God already knew that Moses had the staff in his hand. He wanted Moses to look at it, to focus on it, and to think about it because he was about to do something with it. What's your name? God obviously knew the name. But he's asking Jacob to admit who he really was. You know, in, in ancient times, names were chosen for their meaning. You know, like my name is Walker. Uh, it's the same name as Fuller, which is somebody who works in the dyeing of cloth, you know? And so it might have been your function. Your name might be because you're related to someone. You might be Smith's son, you know? Not the way we choose names today for how nice they sounded. Jacob's name was supplanter, deceiver, usurper, and he lived up to his name. He was a manipulator, and, and when God says, what's your name, he's saying to Jacob, own up to who you are. And when Jacob says, my name is manipulator, my name is usurper, when he says that, God isn't shocked. That's not new to God. God already knows everything about you. All the good and the bad and the ugly, even the stuff you don't know about yourself. And he still loves you. When we humble ourselves and confess who we are, that's when we're ready for a new identity. The Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When we get to that confessional stage, when we're ready to really give it all, that's when we get to the fifth stage that we're talking about, that this is our focus in the last part today, just for a few minutes. Here, phase five, has God changing you. Conversion. I get a new identity. We call it conversion for a reason. It's us being changed, right? It's not us staying the same. God picks up the pieces of our lives and replaces the pieces with peace. Amen? You move from conflict to crisis to commitment. And then the confession that I'm the real problem. And God says, okay, now comes the conversion. You're going to get a brand new identity. So look at God's response to Jacob's brokenness. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will be Israel. Your name will no longer be Jacob. 
it's going to be Israel. And then he blessed him there. And Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw the face of God. I saw God face to face in that. That was the breakthrough. What happened to you? What will happen to you? What name will God give to you? Jacob had this terrible name, supplanter, manipulator, deceiver. You know, he had this awful name. But God changed his name and his character. And the name Israel he gave him means prince with God. Prince with God. And God blessed him. And he became the father of a great nation. And incidentally, that horrible problem relationship that he had with his brother, God healed that too. The transformation choice is to voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in your life and humbly ask him to remove your character defects. Take them away, God. Now, a lot of times we'll confess those things, but we won't ask for help. But asking God directly to be involved, to make the change, to begin the change, that is so important. So Jacob gets a new identity in conversion. And you know all about that. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is one. A new creation, right? The old has passed, the new has come. I, I am thanking God that I am not what I used to be. But God isn't finished with John Walker yet. He's still working on me. And he isn't finished working in your life either. Jacob's story says that after that night, he walked with a limp. Oh. Maybe for us, maybe that's some kind of an emotional limp or a physical limp or a mental limp or a relational limp, but there's, there's going to be something in your life that, that helps you to keep remembering that it's about God and it's not about you. Something that God gives you that reminds you you need to depend on him. You know, God's great giants, the women and the men that he uses in life, the women and men that he blesses, the ones he gives new identity to, they walk with a limp. They walk with a limp. Let's pray. As we close, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and I, I want you to think about this in your mind. Are you experiencing any conflict right now? Right now. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. Here's another question. In what area of your life are you struggling with God? You know the right thing to do, but you just keep ignoring it. You keep fighting with God over it. Maybe you're afraid to trust him. You know there's no way you're going to win that fight. You need to give in to God's control, to go to the mat. And here's one more question for you. Where have you felt like giving up? I want to tell you as your pastor and as your friend who loves you, hold on. Say to God, I am not letting go until you bless me. Underneath every Jacob, 
God sees a prince, and he sees in you a princess or a prince, and he sees what God meant for you to be in the first place. Maybe you've been Jacob, but now you're going to be Israel. I want you to follow me in this prayer in your mind. Dear God, I admit that I am like Jacob. I've been struggling with you, and I've been fighting with other people. I've got conflicts and stress in my life. But I don't want to get stuck at the first stage in conflict with others. And Lord, I certainly don't want to get stuck in the crisis stage. So today I'm, I'm taking these steps. I am committing myself to you, Lord, 100%. I open my life to you. The good, the bad, the ugly, it's all given to you. I give it to you. Jesus Christ, come in and take over my life. Every area, every area, Lord. And I admit I'm the problem. I want you to change my identity. If I have to walk with a limp the rest of my life, so be it. I will give glory in my weakness because it shows your greatness. I pray this in your blessed name. Amen.